Hey friends, welcome to Boca, a podcast exploring the ever-blurring lines between the personal and business lives of professional photographers. This is your host, Nathan Holritz, and I'm happy that you can join me today in connecting with photographers and entrepreneurs as we discuss photography, business, and oh yeah, that sometimes messy thing that we call life. This podcast, it's brought to you by Photographer's Edit, custom image editing for the wedding and portrait photographer. Just visit photographersedit.com. All right, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we're here yet again for another Boca Podcast episode. And uh, with a new friend of mine, uh, we're already becoming friends, chatting a little bit before we started recording, but Don Richardson. Don, thank you so much for coming on the Boca Podcast and being willing to share with our listeners today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Nathan. I'm excited to be here. Well, I'm really glad to have you. And and you bring a pretty unique perspective that we're going to kind of get into here in just a little bit. I, I have some questions. I don't think I even sent you ahead of time. So we're going to get there in just a second. But let's start out with something that we normally do here at the podcast. And, and honestly, one of the biggest reasons that I do this is, you know, we have a busy life these days as photography business owners. And in some cases, we may only have a few minutes to turn a podcast on and then we're on to the next thing. So I want to make sure that we give our listeners something of value to walk away with, even if they only have five minutes to listen in. And so I'd like to start off with this technique for time. So much of what this podcast is about and ultimately Photographer's Edit is about is saving time. And so I'm curious, what is your technique for time or what is the thing that you do that creates space or time for yourself outside of your business? Yeah. So I'm a big fan of outsourcing. I do outsource any chance I get. And that's both personally and in my business. So like I outsource my house cleaning, which we just started doing this year. Awesome. It's been amazing. Yes. I outsource my editing as well. And my editor has been an absolute lifesaver. Wonderful. Um, but something, something that I did in 2018, I wanted to try something a little different because last year I was getting to the point where I was just really burnt out because it was like any day that I'm available, it was available to a client. Hmm. So yeah, and it got really kind of started weighing on me and I didn't have time at home anymore. So in 2018, I focused on stacking my days. So that changed into a system of I only shoot on Thursday, Fridays, and Sundays. And weddings are on Saturday. And if I don't have a wedding that Saturday, I do nothing. (laughs) I love that. And that includes meeting in person. Uh, That includes coffee dates with other vendors. Thursday, Friday, Sunday are those days. And then I utilize an online calendar to show that availability. And that really helped me a lot because it really protected my Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday to get things done around the house, to sleep, and to get some work done in my office, and to really kind of enjoy the life of being an entrepreneur from working from home. And just having that freedom to make my own schedule, but with some structure around it. And that has changed the game for me this year. And just knowing that some days I have, I have my meeting days. These are the days that I need to get ready. I only have to get ready a few times a week rather than every single day. Um, it's really made a big impact on my business and my productivity. So the first thing that comes to mind when you're talking about this, I mean, aside from it, it, it actually reminds me of... Um, kind of the early days of photographers edit, actually, one of the reasons that I started the company in the first place was to give me even more freedom and flexibility than I already had as a as a photography business owner. I shot weddings for over 10 years. Mm-hmm. And I was working at times after the we got the business off the ground and it was moving and going, I was working at times as little as three or four hours a week. 
And, and wow. that's kind of the extreme version of the mm-hmm. lifestyle maybe that, that I was ultimately going for. I mean, I, I was actually not so ironically reading Tim Ferriss's The 4-Hour Workweek at the time, and, mm-hmm. and I literally was able to live that. But in hindsight, I also wish that I had exhibited a little bit more balance, maybe put you know 10 or 15 hours a week in at the time, because I think it would have translated over the long run. Do you... Do you ever get the, is the apprehension there, the the kind of sense of FOMO of missing out on the possibility of being able to do more business or that clients are, you're going to miss out on the opportunity to book a client because you've limited yourself to these particular days? Yeah, that was a fear I had for a long time. And I still have that fear somewhat, but I personally have learned through the experience that when I am overworked like that and I'm not declining clients because I'm full, I'm not being able to give my clients that full experience. Um, So it's been one of those things that I think it goes both ways. There is a little bit of FOMO sometimes. And there are times when like I might get a, a client that has some outstanding circumstance because she's a doctor and she works, you know, 90 hours a week. Sure. Um, but I have the freedom to make those decisions Uh, and make those exceptions too. So I do give myself grace and that, if this isn't a, I'm always going to follow this because I, I can break my own rules sometimes. <laughs> um, but I try to keep on it because if I don't stick to the schedule that's been working for me, um, I start to get burnt out. And then it's, you know, you can't pour from an empty cup type thing. And I notice that my clients get frustrated with me because I can't respond as quickly. Um, so in turn, being a little limiting my time in that sense, Um, not only makes it better for my clients that I do take on, it makes it better for me, for my husband, um, and for everyone else around me, because I'm not so grouchy. (laughs) That that makes sense. Well, I I mean, I have to give you you major props for for taking this kind of initiative and creating that kind of structure. I, I, I think it's incredible. And I think a lot more photographers, honestly, not only should do it, but honestly could do it. Yeah. I, I think that there is an interesting thing that has happened. In, and again, I can speak uh, more from the standpoint of a wedding photographer than anything else. But in the wedding photography industry that I, I mean, I, I see online or maybe hear from photographers that they're so incredibly busy. And, and you ask them how many weddings they're shooting a year, you know, maybe it's 20 or 30, which is a significant amount, um, to be fair. Mm-hmm. But I, 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 I guess I tend to wonder through that week, what are they actually spending their time on? Mm-hmm. If they have the ability to outsource some of the busy work, and especially the most time consuming of that busy work editing, uh, and maybe they even have a, an assistant that's helping them with some admin work, or even if they have to manage their own email, I just wonder where all those hours actually go. I think the reality is that many more business owners could actually limit their week to say 25, 30 hours a week, wedding photography business owners, potentially portrait photography business owners as well, and Mm -hmm. have a lot more freedom and flexibility. And to your point, also be a lot more fresh mentally, creatively, um, and also, of course, offer way more to their personal relationships. I think it would be really, really wonderful for way more photographers to kind of create that space for themselves. How far into your business, and I know we're kind of jumping ahead of ourselves, but how far into your business did you make that move? Uh, How many years had you already been in? Did you have a well-established business before you made that change to your schedule? Yeah. So I have been in business since April of 2015. So going on about three and a half years. Okay. And I've been full-time since June of 2017. So I guess I made this transition in the beginning of 2018. And at that point, I was booking maybe 25 weddings a year. 
Uh, I had I had about 25 for 2017, and then wow. I had 30 for 2018. So this was the year of the 30 number. Okay, and <laughs> it was that it was also that realization. I made it through the year of the 24, and I was like, "Oh my gosh, I have more next year! Like I have to do something, or this is going to end very badly." Yeah. <laughs> so I it was one of those 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 moments in my business where I knew something had to change or I wasn't going to do this for the rest of my life. Like I want to. Um, and I think like you're talking about like, you know, productivity and doing what we love. And when this becomes a job because I'm working 90 hours a week and I don't love what I do anymore, then what's the point? And that's where I did not want to be. So that was just kind of that transition. I had been full time for a few months at that point And I was ready to continue the momentum that my business was going. And yeah, it was just that moment. It was a new year, new studio, and let's do this. <laughs> That's really wonderful. And, and I think too, I mean, when you set those limitations, we've talked about this before in the podcast, but I love that you're bringing this back up. If we set those time limitations for ourselves, we're forced to get more done in less time, which in all reality, we could, including myself, I'm, I'm raising my hand here, we could all probably do more effectively or even definitely do more effectively is to better utilize even an hour or two where we're putting much more focus into that. We're not multitasking. And the reality is we could get a lot more done more quickly and then have more freedom and flexibility throughout the week. But I will make a, a kind of a caveat here. And, and that is that I realize for those getting their business off the ground that they're naturally going to put extra time into their business and and, and to borrow a very popular cultural term these days, to hustle, right? To put oh, the yeah. extra hours in to get <laughs> the, the, real, the clients. Right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. But um, I, I guess I'm curious, how did you get, I mean, if you started shooting in 2015 or started your business in 2015 and you already had 25 weddings by 2017, how did you get to that place so quickly? What was the, the method of marketing or building clientele that you utilized? Yeah, so... For me, it was a big mix of everything. And, you know, like we're talking about when you start, you're just trying to figure out what works for your business. And I did everything. I did things from paid advertising with websites like The Knot to local paid advertising. I gave those a try. Lots of social media and a lot of um, Facebook, Instagram. We talked about Pinterest a little bit too in that. And a lot of really just boots on the ground. And I, I will say that that was the best thing for my business was getting out there, meeting other people, creating those relationships and loving on them well. Um, and I still am a huge believer in that, that this, this industry is built on relationships and those relationships are what's going to grow and what's going to make you stand out from the crowd. You know, when you go into a wedding and you see these amazing vendors that are working their hearts out and you can love on them in return, they're going to love you back. And that's just been something that I've been very passionate about. Um, I'm a leader of the Rising Tide Society chapter here in San cool. Antonio. Yeah. So I build a lot of those relationships through there and building community and just coming together to cheer each other on. And that honestly, to me, has been the biggest thing for my business. I've built so many amazing relationships with people that have been cheering me on. I cheer them on. And it's just, it's good. And I will tell anybody over and over again, if you love on people, they will love you back. Mm. And 
that is huge for, it's been huge for my business and it's been, I've seen it work really well for other businesses too. It's huge. It is. And I know I've mentioned this multiple times on the podcast before, but a massive source of business for me was a relationship actually with just one wedding coordinator coordinator in the Mm -hmm. Chattanooga area. And that business came as a result of a genuine relationship with this person though, that went beyond just, Hey, I want business from you. Send clients my way. There, there was a, a real relationship developed, and and I think it's so important that we utilize the time that we have as business owners to. I mean, certainly we, it, it makes sense to spend a little bit of time marketing on social media, but at the end of the day, probably the most bang for the buck, if you will, is the investment in actual relationships, which take a little bit of you know getting off our butt and getting outside and getting in the car yeah. and going mm-hmm. and meeting with a wedding vendor or going and meeting with. Uh, maybe it's a children's clothing shop owner where you might be able to post some of your portraits and ultimately get business from from that location. Whatever the case may be, the, the connections, the relationships that will ultimately drive business your way, it takes a little bit of effort and time. But the cool thing is if you do delegate or outsource, as you alluded to earlier, you'll have the freedom, the flexibility to be able to then spend time on that thing that will probably be the most beneficial to your business, which, which is the development of relationships. So uh, I, I love the direction this conversation is going already. <laughs> and I know that, that we're kind of jumping all around, but I love that too. I think, I think it's fun yeah. to just kind of get into conversation. But I, I will kind of re- hit the rewind button slightly here. And I want to get back to your, your free time because I, I mean, you've prioritized free time. I'm curious how you actually then spend that free time during the week. Yeah. So I, I'm in the middle of wedding season. Wedding season in Texas is like September through December Yes, <laughs> um, because it's finally cold enough to be outside. Yeah. And when I say cold enough, I mean like the 80s. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so this is our time of year. I have 17 weddings this fall. And so it's been really a crazy season. Wow. Um, so right now when I have free time, I am a couch potato. I am sleeping. Yeah. <laughs> I am soaking up that quiet time. Um, I have a hammock that my husband bought me for Christmas a few years ago, and I spent a lot of time in that hammock um, just being outside and just relaxing and being still, like not listening to anything, just soaking it all up. Um, I'm a big believer in that. That's how I like to reset. But also uh, going to the gym, that's something that's very important to me every day at four o'clock my workday is done and I am getting my butt to the gym. Um, I do, I've been at a CrossFit gym for about three and a half years. And that to me, not only is a great outlet for me to relieve a lot of stress, um, but it's also my place where I get to hang out with people Mm. and see people. If, you know, if I've spent, you know, all day calling or if I've spent my day working on, you know, my social media postings and just being behind a computer, it's my opportunity to get out of the house to see awesome people who are very high energy and ready to like make sure I'm the better version of myself. And that to me is my, that's my me time every day. So I spend a lot of time doing that. <laughs> that's great. And I, you know, having that community for the sake of uh, accountability and showing up to the gym consistently is a great thing too. But yeah. the fact that you can do that with friends, I think is wonderful. I'm, my workouts happen on my own. Um, and mm-hmm. I think I think that I, I feel like I'm missing out in some ways when I hear these stories about the people that are involved with CrossFit and the community innate to that. I'm curious, though, you you handle your workouts later in the day. I usually do mine yeah. kind of first thing in the day. Is mm-hmm. there a reason for that? And have you tried both and seen uh, more of a benefit from that afternoon workout? Yeah, um, I have tried both. And I, I really wanted to be that morning workout person for a long time. I wanted to be like, 
woke up at five, just finished my thing, you know, and (laughs) I tried for a long time, but I learned that I'm most productive in the morning. So I tend to wake up around, you know, 7am and start, you know, grab my coffee and start my day. And that's the time I get the best work in. So my, my routine has become, I'm actually going to focus on my business. I'm a firm believer in that eat that frog mentality do that thing you don't want to do first Mm. and then let yourself do it. So I eat that frog with my coffee every morning, uh, whatever (laughs) that is on my schedule for the day. And then my productivity starts to dwindle at about lunchtime, Uh, you know, noon, one or two. And then I give myself the ability to slow down, you know, kind of go into more like things that don't require as much brain power. So like today's Friday, I have a wedding tomorrow. So today's going to be filled with a lot of charging batteries and cleaning gear. And then at the end of the day, it's my de-stressor. Like, okay, maybe I had a really busy day. Maybe I need a nice boost of energy. And it's just been a great way to end my day. When I get home is typically when my husband comes home from work and then we figure out dinner and then I do my best to not take out a laptop for the rest of the evening. So it's kind of just like my, my end of my schedule and it's just closes out my day very nicely. So oh, I love that. It's worked really well for me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I like that order of things. Do you find, um, I mean, one of the reasons that I do my workout first thing in the day is because I, I don't know, I guess I assume that if I put it off later in the day, there's a tendency that I may just not do it at all. Do you Mm -hmm. find that or do you actually look forward to it enough that you tend to be quite consistent with it? I do look forward to it. And I will tell you that I'm not 100%. I'm more of like a three times a week kind of person. Yeah, which is great anyway. (laughs) Yeah, but the accountability that I have with my coaches and my gym, it it really helps a lot. You know, if I don't show up for a couple days in a row, I normally get a text message that's like, hey, like, where are you? (laughs) Um, So that keeps me accountable too. And it's been pretty amazing that um, the people at the gym as well, I love that they're not photographers. Um, It's just like a different world. They don't fully understand my world, but they're entrepreneurs. You know, They, they own a small business. They're doing their own thing. And it's just fun people to be around and I feel motivated by them. And it's just something that I look forward to because I get to be around those awesome people. That's really great. That's really, really great. Well, I'm kudos to you for making that such a priority (laughs) and and figuring out a rhythm that works for you too. And we've talked about that before in the podcast, but you know, as as much as I'm a huge believer in um, getting, getting a great start out of your day, doing things in the morning, and and it seems like you subscribe to that, um, at least with the work side of things as well, we also are not all built the same way, right? And understanding what rhythm works best for you and then applying that consistently is is ultimately what's really most important. And so I I love that you do that. Tell us something just kind of random that maybe most people don't know about you. Oh, gosh. Okay, so I'm known to be pretty organized. A lot of people that know me know that I'm pretty type A. I think (laughs) you might have gotten that that vibe from, (laughs) from our emails that we've exchanged back and forth. I love bullet points. Me too. I love that about you. (laughs) Um, I love it when like a bride sends me an email and there's bullet points in there and I'm like, oh my gosh, you're my person. This is amazing. But I'm super organized when it comes to my technology, my systems, my schedule, workflow, all of those things. Um, And I, I do that because it just, for me, that's how I feel like my rhythm stays in place. When that kind of goes off kilter, um, I tend to get really stressed. So that's something I try to maintain very thoroughly. 
Now, the surprising thing, though, is even though I'm super organized mentally and technology-wise and system-wise, I am probably the messiest person that you'll ever meet. Oh, really? It drives my husband crazy. Um, there's always <laughs> dishes in the sink. And my office is always an unorganized mess. And my husband's a neat freak. So it drives him insane. He's like, you can manage your time, but you can't clean the dishes. <laughs> so that's just something about me. I've always been pretty messy and I'm, I'm getting better. But um, a lot of people are surprised when they like see that my car is a mess or they come into my office and it's not this fancy, um, super organized office that they were expecting. <laughs> That's interesting. I mean, and I, I'm fascinated by psychology that drives their behavior. Um, I've spent so much time, probably way too much time overanalyzing my behavior and the psychology that drives it. But I'm curious for you, like that, that kind of coexistence of, as you mentioned, the type A tendencies, um, the extreme organization mm-hmm. when it comes to the technology side, how does that coexist with the kind of disorganization on the personal side and the way that you, you keep things or don't keep things cleaned up? <laughs> I wish I had an answer. <laughs> um, so fascinating a lot of times I, I think I'm like, why, why is this happening? Like, why is this a mess? And I think for me, it's, um, I do love a clean space. Like, don't get me wrong. Like a clean space doesn't make me uncomfortable. I think for me, this, the priority goes in towards the mental space and making sure that that's uh, where my focus is, mm, especially yeah. in these busy seasons. Sure. And that's also why I hired somebody to clean my house for me. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> Smart move. Yeah, right. Outsource where we can. <laughs> that's really, really great. Tell I, I want to kind of shift gears here just a little mm-hmm. bit. And I'm, I'm curious, you seem to be a bit of a, an intellectual, if you will, somebody who, who likes to think about things. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious if there's a particular book that you've read that has impacted you personally, or maybe even impacted your business um, in the last few years? What's the most impactful book that comes to mind? Yeah. So my husband and I, about three years ago, right when I started my business, um, were we were introduced to Dave Ramsey's Total Money Makeover. Yeah. And I know this isn't like a super you know philosophical or intellectual type thing, but we got introduced to that method and it completely rocked our world. And at that point in time, I was still working my software engineering job. I had dreams of becoming a business owner um, and doing this full time. And that book gave us the tools and the guidelines to give us the freedom to do that. Hmm. Um, we paid off about 120 grand of debt after we read that book. Wow. Uh, yes. And that did not include our house. That was just student loans and cars and garbage and what Dave calls normal. And that also put us on the trajectory to run my business 100% debt-free from the beginning. That's awesome. And I'm, I'm sure we'll talk about gear soon, but I'm a total gear junkie. Like there is no expense, you know, sacrifice. Like I will buy gear like crazy. I love gear (laughs) and being able to do that debt free and still being able to do that while giving myself a salary and, you know, investing back into the business in other ways that don't involve a lens, um, have been really big and it allows me to make decisions on behalf of the business to do things that I'm passionate about mm. rather than taking a client just because I need to make ends meet. Yeah. So that's been really huge for us. And I, 
I know that method's not for everybody, but for us, it's just completely rocked our world in both a personal and a professional sense. Well, you said it wasn't very philosophical, but it actually is. I mean, it, it, there's a philosophy yeah. there that drives the management of money, which is something that, mm-hmm. I mean, I'll, I'll again be the first person to raise my hand and say that I had quite a difficult time with early on in my business as well. And in fact, the very reason that I didn't prioritize um, both an awareness, a self-awareness as far as my personal finances and a self-awareness as far as the way that I was managing the business's money, uh, that hurt me. And yeah. and so if, if I were to do anything different, if I had the opportunity to, to start my photography business all over again, um, that would be probably the first thing that, or certainly one of the first things that I would prioritize is better money management, awareness of the numbers, a certain level of proactivity innate to all of that. It's so, mm-hmm. so important. And I know that that... that Dave's philosophy and his book uh, have made such a massive impact on so many people. And so, of course, we'll make sure to link to that in the show notes as well for those of you that are yeah. that are curious about it. But I appreciate you sharing that. And yeah, kudos to you for taking that kind of approach to managing money and, and to running a business debt-free too. That is huge because yeah. it, it really is well, easy. And, to and it's hard, right? Yeah. It's not something that's easy to do, especially in a business like ours that's extremely expensive to yes. be in. Um, you know, it's not cheap to get a camera or a lens. Um, and you want to build like a full system of them and it it takes a lot. And it's just one of those things. Like we have, when you start your business, you have no idea what you're doing. Like you're really just kind of throwing things and seeing what sticks. And that for us at least gave us some guidelines of what we thought was best for our family. And we lived by that and it, it, reaped benefits tenfold. Even though it took a little bit longer to get some things, it was worth every single extra day of hustling. (laughs) That's wonderful. That's really, really great. Well, I I know that you shared a little bit earlier about how you got into photography, or at least how long you've been in photography. But I'm curious what the biggest lesson has been, or maybe the, the most difficult lesson that you've learned as a business owner so far. And um, just for perspective, because I don't normally mention this on the podcast, but really one of the reasons, main reasons that I asked this question is because the last thing that I want is for especially up and coming photographers to unnecessarily repeat the mistakes of those that have come before them. And <laughs> right. um, so I'm hoping that maybe those listening in can can learn from this and avoid a similar mistake. But what has been that toughest lesson for you? You know, I was just talking about this with a friend, um, actually the owner of the gym that I go to. She's an entrepreneur as well. And we share similar challenges, even though we're in two totally different industries. Mm. But to me, the biggest lesson that I learned was don't forget to celebrate. And throughout this whole process of, you know, starting the business, getting into weddings, going full time. There was, I had this mentality of this is where I'm going to get, I, I want to get here. And when I got there, I just said, what's next? I never gave myself the opportunity to be like, dang, like you just did that. Yeah. And you've been wanting this for three years and you just left your corporate job. And, and like when I left my corporate job, that was huge. It took me two and a half years to get there. And it was a hard, a really hard job to leave. And I left and then I was like, okay, now what? Instead of taking the time to celebrate those achievements. So 
any business owner I talk to, and we're talking about this, I always tell them to give yourself the opportunity to celebrate, whether that's something as small as like, Hey, you put pants on today. Like, yay. High five. Like, <laughs> give yourself, like pat yourself on the back when you have a day where maybe you actually showered, dyed your hair and went somewhere and talked to people. Um, celebrate those things. Did you book a wedding today? Let yourself do a happy dance in your, in your office. I don't care how many weddings you've booked. Be excited about those things. You know, when you, did you go full time today? Did you leave your job? Celebrate it. Give yourself some time, go out with friends, celebrate this accomplishment because it's going to, you're going to move on to the next thing quickly. And you're going to get to the point where you realize it's not, it's not fun anymore. And you're just chasing, you know, you're in a race that you'll never win. So that's something that I'm really passionate about in after I did that, cause I went full time and I didn't celebrate it. I was like, all right, now what? And I realized that I really just took away that opportunity from myself to, to really celebrate something that I worked really hard for. And so I just, I make an effort to celebrate that any chance I get. <laughs> That's wonderful. Well, and, and congrats to you for yeah. having such success in, in such a short amount of time. But I think you, well, thank you. <laughs> you bring up an interesting point, which is not only just to celebrate period, but even mm-hmm. to celebrate the smaller things. I was actually just watching a video from Gary Vaynerchuk's channel. Mm-hmm. And of course, many people probably know who Gary is. But one of the things that that uh, Gary exemplifies very consistently, number one is the the, the patience uh, of or with the process, right? Rather than simply gunning for a particular goal, actually enjoying the process. And I think that's very relevant to this conversation. But yeah. this particular video was of him actually doing something that he tells people all the time. And he's like, hey, if you want to make some extra cash, go to garage sales, pick up these items for cheap, and then go and sell them, make some ca- make some extra money. Uh, or you can potentially even make a really great living doing this very thing. So he's actually going out and putting words to, to or putting feet to, to what he said and actually doing this thing. But what, what was quite interesting about that video, it reminds me of, of what you're saying as well, is that even the little things like where he's going and picking up an item at a garage sale for 50 cents and he realizes he can turn around and sell that for $20, even that kind of quote unquote small win mm-hmm. was something that he was excited about. He appreciated even something as little as that. And this guy's business is this company's worth millions and millions and millions of dollars. And yet he still appreciated that, that little win that he, yeah. that he experienced. And so I think it is a good idea to do that. And I think it also ties into this notion of being present, right? Being present in the moment, appreciating what you have now and being happy with that. And, and then simultaneously still having that hustle. I think it's, I think those things can coexist, but it's a great reminder for us. And I appreciate you, you sharing yeah. that. Talk to us a little bit about your photography business itself. Mm-hmm. It's something that we talk about here in the podcast quite a bit is the notion of a brand position. How do you set yeah. your uh, photography business apart from those in your local market? What is your business's brand position? So this is kind of ironic because it was also my toughest lesson that I learned in my business. Mm. Uh, <laughs> but my brand position is all about my couples celebrating their day. And and it's always has been. Um, my photography is very joyful. It's very, it has a happy emotive to it. I focus on couples that are ready to party and have the time of their life on their wedding day. 
And to do that, I've always just been somebody that that's just kind of what I've been attracted to in terms of like what I'm photographing. I'm always looking for people laughing. I'm always looking for people being silly. We took it to the next level this year and it's, it's been really an amazing transformation, but I went through a rebrand at the beginning of 2018 and, uh, Kelly and Andra from With Grace and Gold. Um, I worked with them in the past when I first got started. But when I got started, it was I didn't I didn't know who I wanted to be or what I wanted to attract. And they created this beautiful brand for me, and it worked beautifully for a long time. And then I saw them again at United, and I saw them, and I was like, Kelly, Andra, I love my brand, but I want more rowdy couples. Like, I want <laughs> couples that are just gonna like. Heck yeah. Like when I say, how do you want your guests to feel on your wedding day? I want yeah. them to say drunk. <laughs> I want them to have a great time. Yeah. I want them, you know, cause I, I, I really believe that getting married is something to be celebrated and I adore my couples that believe the same and they are just ready to have the best day of their lives with their favorite people in their lives. Um, so Kelly and Andra did Don Elizabeth Studios round two, two years later, and they built this brand that is a true representation of me. I'm pretty outgoing. I will be on your dance floor and I have no shame in that game. There's and... actually a picture of you doing just that on the homepage <laughs> yeah. of your site, oh, actually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I love margaritas. I'm a margarita enthusiast and I just want it to be upbeat. I want this whole process to be an absolute blast. And they they took my vision and my personality of who I am and they turned it into a brand. And that's the brand that I have now. And they did that website for me. And it was just, it was the best thing I could have done for my business because ever since then I have had so many amazing couples that are just ready to have a good time. You know, they show up and they're like, what, what dances do you like? To, like, what songs do you like? <laughs> We're going to have a margarita machine. Will you get pictures of that? And that's, you know, I'm a believer in that. And I want them to have the best day of their lives. And I'm all for having emotional times too. I don't want you to feel like you can't cry at your wedding. But I'm all about being real and celebrating something that should be celebrated. Because I think that's something that we lose sight of a lot in our world. With weddings, there's so much emphasis on the details and the pretty and a lot of times uh, couples get caught up in that and they forget that they're getting married. And that to me, I want to do my best in this industry to make sure that they are celebrating this time rather than just you know, going through the formalities of what they think a wedding should be because of what Pinterest has told them. So that's, that's where I stand on my brand position, you know. I love margaritas, dancing. Let's have a good time. And, <laughs> and, and the home the homepage of your really well. <laughs> well, and, and the homepage of your site too. You you have I mean literally. Let's get this party started in, in big yep. bold letters, <laughs> um, not far down the 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 uh, homepage there. But mm-hmm. how do you aside from some of the the text there on the website and, and certainly that big picture of you dancing, um, which is so much fun? How do you how else do you communicate that? brand position to, especially to potential clients, or maybe even in the process of networking. We were talking about relationships earlier. If you're networking with other wedding vendors in your market, how do you communicate that idea of fun uh, as a wedding photographer to those people? Yeah. So I'll tell you, you will find your tribe when you ask vendors if they want to get margaritas instead of coffee. Oh, um. brilliant. <laughs> brilliant. So I'm always that person. Um, 
when I lead these rising tide meetings, I'm always like, if anyone wants to get drinks one night, let me know. So I, I, and that's the nice thing about this rebrand for me was I gave me the permission to be myself while being my brand. And I, before I was kind of hiding behind this, well, weddings are really proper and maybe I shouldn't drink um, when I, you know, or talk about drinking when I talk to clients. Uh, not, I don't drink at weddings because nobody wants to deal with all that gear and booze. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, and it's just being that fun personality, being that person that says, you know, like, hey, you guys are hanging out here in this corner. Why don't you come with us and have a good time? And just being that, just that representation of that brand in a way, you know, being outgoing when I meet with clients using terminology. I use the word yas a lot in my email <laughs> and I use it a lot in person when I'm shooting um, my couples. Yeah, and yeah. it's just really just being authentic to myself. And that's just somebody that's just ready to have a good time. I'm all about, you know, being organized and, you know, making sure that things are done. But I'm also a firm believer in like work hard, play hard. And that's exactly who I am and who I want to be perceived as. And that's who I want to be with my vendor friends and my couples. And I'm going to take care of you. This is going to get done. You're going to have beautiful bullet points from me. Um, but we're going to have a good time in this process. So, Well, and, and I love that those things can coexist, right? The organization yeah. <laughs> and the fun simultaneously. Um, I, I tend to, to be, uh, I mean, just admittedly so, and I've probably said this in the podcast before, a little bit uptight at times, and I need, I probably need to have a little bit more fun as well. So maybe a margarita this weekend. Well, there's a time and place for everything, right? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's so great. Well, you mentioned gear earlier, and I have to ask you, of course, what your favorite piece of gear in your camera bag is, or maybe it is your camera bag, but what comes to mind? <laughs> okay, so I'm a total gear junkie. That has never been a low-budget item on my budget ever. Um, <laughs> right now, I'm shooting with two 5D Mark IVs, and big fan. I went from a Canon 60 to the Mark four. So I made a big jump and I was one of those people that like pre-ordered it. And I was like, I'm going for it. I'm going to get this right away. And so big fan of those, but if I had to pick one favorite, it's probably my 70 to 200. Mm. Um, that lens is my pride and joy. I love that thing. And I know a lot of people don't like it, but the compression I get in that lens yes. is just amazing. Yes. And I do CrossFit so I can lift that thing. So, <laughs> well, like, that and the Mark IV, that, that is a heavy yeah, combination. They are. They are. Um, and close second, though, I just got the new Canon 85, the one four with IS on it. Okay. And I've been a big fan of that one, too. Um, that one's on my camera a little bit more than my 70 to 200 lately, just because it's a little bit lighter. Mm-hmm. and. It's, it's given me some awesome results, especially in low light settings. So, but yeah, normally it's one on one hip and the other on the other hip because I do shoot both cameras at the same time on a wedding day. <laughs> okay. But if you're a gear junkie though, you have to have your eye on the new mirrorless camera that's just been announced, right? I do. I do. I think, so I've been eyeing, especially the Sony ones, but that's just such a, I have so many lenses. That's such a big jump. And I don't know if I want to use the converters for it. Yeah. So I'm going to, I might give Canon one more cycle to see if, if they're performing that the way that they're hoping they're going to perform. And then I might make that jump, but. Interesting. Um, okay. So in this case, yeah, you're not going to be I, that first adopter, huh? Yeah. And you know what? I normally am. I'm, I'm normally that person that's like in line at the Apple store, yep. like on a lunch day. That's yep. normally me. 
And, you know, I, my, my Mark fours are serving me well right now. And I have two of them. I just got that second one a few months ago. So it's one of those things like these are serving me well, they are no way outdated. <laughs> so giving myself a little bit of patience that I don't want to get, I might <laughs> rent one. I might rent one to check it out and see what all the hype's about. That's a beautiful compromise. Yeah. I'm, I'm excited to see technology goes because, you know, the better technology gets, the more opportunities we have to create awesome memories for our clients and, you know, have fun while doing it and hopefully not you know, have moving components that can break more easily. Uh, So so we'll see, we'll see where it goes, but I would say someday, just not right now. (laughs) Well, we've, we've talked a little bit about the idea of organization. I mean, this is something that is apparently a specialty of yours and uh, I know there's a backstory to it. We're going to actually get into a a particularly important element of organizations today. And that is Mm -hmm. keeping our clients files, their images safe I know that you've got a bit of a passion for this topic, Oh yes. <laughs> but tell us a little bit about where that comes from and uh, maybe where you learned the significance of, and then, and then the workflow for keeping files safe. Yeah, you got it. Okay. So this is where my background is totally different from most photographers. My background in IT started in about 2008. Well, growing up, I've always been that com- that kid that like loved computer class. And I used to sit in the garage with my grandpa. He used to build, you know, the, you know, the big tower machines. Yeah. Um, he used to like piece them together. He was, he's a guy that likes to tinker. And we built a lot of those and like put a bootlegged version of Windows on them to see if it worked. And <laughs> spent a lot of time doing that growing up as a kid. And I always had an interest in that. And then I went to college to be a doctor. And that's what I thought I was going to do my whole life. Like there was never a point in my life where I didn't think I was going to med school. Hmm. And I got to college and I was at the university of Arizona at the time I'm from Arizona. So that was, that was home. And I realized that school was very expensive. So I had to get a job and I like looked for different jobs and Somebody finally suggested to me, like, why don't you go work at the Apple store? And I was like, wow, that would be so fun. Because I was like totally an Apple fangirl. And I was like, that would be cool. I get to hang out and play with toys all day. (laughs) So I applied in my sophomore year of college. And that interview process was the hardest interview process I've ever been through, Hmm. including my corporate jobs that I later had. (laughs) And I got the job. I started in sales for a little while and then I moved on to doing technical support and I later moved on to doing training for incoming employees for Apple. So I facilitated workshops for new employees. I trained them on the culture, on the systems, how things worked and got them going in their role at Apple. And in that process, I started to realize how impactful technology could be to someone's life. And I know that sounds so silly, but you like hand someone an iPhone and it changes their world. Well, it was changing their world and it wasn't so much like they had this new device, but how they got there. We had kids come in that saved money in their piggy banks forever just to get an iPod. And that experience for them was just life-changing. And it was one of those things that I started to realize, like, maybe this is where I want to be in my life just working with technology and watching this technology impact people. So my, my pre-med days started to dwindle. Um, I eventually changed my major 
to computer science and I spent most of my days working at Apple. I, I worked full time. I worked a lot behind the bar. I did a lot of technical support appointments. And I I'll also mentioned that I worked there in like iPhone four, the very first iPad days. Those were the products that we launched. And you learn so much about customer service mm, when mm-hmm. somebody holds their iPhone funny and their service goes away. Do you remember like when you held your iPhone wrong, like all oh, your that's bars right. away? That's when I worked there. You learn so much about customer service when uh, people are mad at you. Yes, you I your can phone imagine. Phone. Yeah. So um, that's where kind of my technical background started. And one thing I learned when I was there, Apple is very on point with their culture. And I loved that job. But you you get that like very passionate feeling from Apple. It's 100% true. And I worked there during the Steve days when Steve was still there. Um, and something that was ingrained in me from my management, from the people around me was to never settle. When you're passionate about something, when you feel like something's right, do it. And at that time, I was kind of in a place where I didn't know what I wanted to do, if I was even in the right place. So I quit my job at Apple and I moved to Texas and (laughs) started this whole new adventure. I went to Texas Tech and I finished out a degree in management information systems there. I worked at Texas Tech as a web developer and I got, I spent a lot of time in, uh, programming classes in classes in object oriented design and project management and software management, system management, all that type of thing. Um, and I graduated and got hired by USAA to be a software engineer straight out of school. Um, and that's how I ended up here in San Antonio. So that's kind of like my background in a nutshell of how life has taken me through this technology piece. Um, but I spent four years as a software engineer and I started doing development, Java development, and then worked on going through, uh, I started managing systems for teams. We, I became a leader in a team that managed systems for the entire IT space within the company. But along this journey, when I worked at Apple, I, that's where this passion of protecting my clients came from. Um, I cannot tell you how many times I would see parts completely shattered because they lost their photos mm. um, on their phone. Or I, I, I even had um, customers come in and they had their phone in front of them. It just, they found it at the bottom of their pool because so-and-so, their kid threw it in the water or something like totally out of their control. But they, the last photos they had of a family member were on there and they didn't have them anywhere else Wow! or the first few years of their kids' lives photos were on their phone and they didn't put them anywhere else. So that's, that's kind of where that passion started for me and that importance of like back it up. Like, I don't care if you're a photographer, like back your stuff up. Mm. It's easy. Storage is cheap and they make so many great tools to do it pretty much automatically for you. Right. Don't put yourself through that box of, you know, through that losing your your box of most precious memories, because sometimes that's in your phone. And when I started doing this professionally, that just was something that I was just passionate about from the get go. Like, not only are these not precious to me, but these are somebody's best memories of their life. Like they're not mine anymore. I'm managing somebody else's memories. And having that strong system um, was 
important from day one. And that's something I'm very passionate about teaching other photographers and business owners about is just making sure because, you know, it's not a matter of if it'll happen, it's when because it's going to happen to every person eventually. Well, and to that point, I mean, have you ever lost images on a hard drive or a memory card? Oh, yeah, um, absolutely. And a lot <laughs> okay. of times it's because of human error. It's my fault. But yeah, and um, I have lost images that were unrecoverable when before I started doing photography. That was more of like on a personal thing. I lost a good chunk of photos that were on my phone because I didn't back it up either at that point. Yeah. But I have done that a few times within my business, but it has never been a moment that has stood out to me because I knew that there was a system in place mm. and it got fixed pretty quickly. Yep. Um, and sometimes it's, it's human error. Like there was one time um, I was getting ready to do a destination wedding and I had an extra hard drive and I was like, oh, I'm going to wipe out this hard drive to make sure that I can bring it with me just to have a backup. And I clicked on it and I actually clicked on the other drive that had everything on it. Oh, and I no. that, that was totally my fault. I was just, I didn't have my, I didn't have my coffee yet. And I was just working through things fast. And I about threw up all over my computer when I did that. Cause that was like eight terabytes of data that was gone, oh. but everything was backed up. And it was just a matter of replacing that drive with the backed up version of it. And okay. it, it took a few hours and it was fine, but it was just a great reminder of like why I have this system in place. Wow. Because it doesn't matter if that hard drive goes swimming or whatever that might be. Yep. There are times where you can screw it up too. Even the most technical people can screw it up. Sure. So. Well, been let, there. <laughs> let's let's get into the system because yeah. uh, and, and you know we talk about systems quite a bit on the podcast and of course the beauty of systems is that you once you put them in place it, and it does take a little bit of an investment in time or maybe resources uh, other resources up front but once a system is in place it is something that uh, innately is repetitive and yes. and in some ways you don't have to think of or think about yeah. uh, and I think that's wonderful particularly when it comes to something like like backing up images. So will you go ahead and share what the system looks like for our listeners so that they can go and begin to implement a better system in their businesses? Yeah, absolutely. So like I mentioned earlier, it's it's a matter of when this is going to happen to you, not if. So always start somewhere and don't be afraid to start small. So for me, the it's all about redundancy. It's all about having something ready to take the place of something failing. Um, so for me, that's why I shoot with Mark fours. That was important to me when I made the jump from a 60 was to have the two card slots in my cameras. Ah, so now I'm understanding your apprehension with the mirrorless system. <laughs> yes. Why'd you take away my card slot? Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm a big believer in that. And I think technology is really great. And I think those cards are getting better but at the end of the day, things still happen. Um, I write full raw to both of my cards in my both of my cameras. So having that redundancy initially upfront is huge for me. And not only is it redundancy within the one camera, but it's having a backup body ready to go right. in the situation if one just completely knocked out on me. Sure. So I always carry those two with me. So that's kind of like my step one of where my system starts. Um, I also do not delete or wipe those cards until the client gallery is delivered the final gallery wow so i have about 80 sd cards. oh my goodness no let me say this i do wipe the the cf cards because the mark four is a cf sd 
pairing. Sure. I wipe the CF cards after the SDs have been fully loaded and they're confirmed that there's no corruption to them. And I keep the SD cards on my desk. Um, I have like little note post-it notes with whose cards they are, what date they're from. And they sit in this spot until they are fully delivered. Um, with my editor, it's about a, a week and a half turnaround. So they're not here too long. But when I have a wedding season of you know six weddings a month, we definitely go through a lot of cards and there's a lot of them on my desk at one point in time. So That's amazing. I can't imagine how yeah. much money you've spent on SD cards or oh, CF gosh. cards. That's incredible. Well, it's, it's, it's a lot. It's probably maybe $2,000, but it wasn't it wasn't something that I bought up front, right? It's, I was going through a phase in time where I would buy maybe four, sure. six cards sure. at a time. And, um, as long as you're looking at the right Amazon deal, Best Buy will match them to an extent. Oh, so, cool. you know, I was getting them for like 20 bucks a pop. And, oh, that's awesome. Uh, yeah, no, they were great. And I shoot, um, I shoot 32 gigs at a time. I don't shoot more than 32 at a time. And that's just another really possibly silly um, step that I take in my my process. But um, if I'm going to lose a card, I would rather lose 32 gigs of photos than 128 or 64 gigs of of photos. I was second shooting a wedding the other day um, with a good Mm -hmm. friend of mine. And I I think he had a 64 gig card in that camera that he handed me to shoot with. Mm-hmm. And that, that makes me a little bit nervous. I don't, I, I don't like, know. Oh. I mean, and it's been a little while since, I mean, the last time I was shooting full-time was back in 2012. Mm-hmm. Um, so of course the size of the cards back then, I mean, a 16 gig card was big, right? Yeah. Yeah. So the idea of putting 64 gig worth of data on one card that could potentially go bad is highly yeah. nerve wracking. So yeah. I, I totally get what you mean. Yeah. And I think that might be somewhat of an unreasonable, I know a lot of people that shoot you know, 64 gig cards and they're sure. just fine. My, my, my second shooter shoot on 64 gig cards just so I don't have to rotate their cards out through the night, but I shoot maybe four 32 gig cards a wedding. Wow! So it adds up. But for me, it's just that, that extra layer of I'm comfortable changing my cards out. Like this is just what it's going to be. And, um, they have those cards that are 256 gigs now. It's like, Oh my goodness, that's amazing. That sounds great. That also sounds really terrifying at the same time. Well, and, um, and also, how many files do you actually need to photograph in an event too that you need a right. 256 gig card? For, of course, for most cameras, I know there's always the exception, but yeah. um, I, I think photographers in many cases are kind of overshooting too. So the idea oh, yeah. that they need that big of a card is a little bit disturbing. Oh yeah, and I'm totally an overshooter. Like I shoot way too much, and I can. I don't think I would fill a 256 gig card. Um, and the Mark four files are giant, but you know, the system I have, I'm fine. I kind of know what points in the wedding day that I'm going to end up switching out a card. Normally it's right before ceremony and then right again, mid reception and having the two camera bodies on me makes that happen less because I have two cameras rather than one camera getting all the brunt of the work. So that's, that's my step one in my system. But then I come home from a wedding and we're backing up is immediate. Like we're, we're doing this right now. So like you're getting home at midnight or whatever it might be. Uh-huh. And, and you actually begin the process then. Yeah. Wow. And it, it sucks sometimes. It's really late sometimes. And for me though, I will probably lay in bed and toss and turn unless <laughs> um, I know that they are at least in one other place. So 
I'm pretty, pretty adamant about making sure that my cards are uploaded before I go to bed. So my backup process can get started. I'm curious, Don, do Mm -hmm. you, I mean, being kind of a technology, a self-proclaimed technology nerd yourself, um, something that we actually used for some time when, when I was shooting full time was a portable hard drive that actually had a CF card slot built into it. And they just released a new one. Did you see that? No, what, which company? Because th- this is not, and I'm not sure why, but it's not been a mainstream thing. I know so. exactly what you're talking about. My mentors used one when I first got started, and I was responsible for making sure that it was put onto that little hard drive. Yeah. Uh, but I haven't been able to find one. They did just come out with one. I saw it on B&H's website. I don't remember the brand. It was, it was pretty steep, though. Uh, I want to say it was like $500. Yeah, they they aren't particularly cheap, and, and again, they're not. Oh. They don't seem readily available. That the brands certainly aren't recognizable. But the one that we used for some time actually worked quite well. And and the, yeah. the goal was to save, or one of the goals anyway, was to save that having to to get home late, late at night, and then back up yeah. cards because we put a lot of importance on, on that as well. Um, mm-hmm. But the idea of having to stay up an extra hour, hour and a half in order to download all these cards. Um, was yeah. a bit daunting. So to be able to do that on the fly at the reception, especially during those kind of slower times at the reception was really, really nice. Oh, yeah. And I'm, I'm so weirded out by the fact that that never became a mainstream thing to do. Right. I bring my laptop and I could bring a hard drive to do that too. I don't. So for me, it's one of those things like I, my system, my backup system needs to be within my hub. Right. So when it plugs into my iMac is when the cloud and the local backup starts. So you know what? That's something I'm going to start looking into that a little bit more because that would be so nice to not stay up. Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, I do use the Lexar hub. Yes. Um, I have the four, four bays in that. And then my iMac has another slot and it's uh, and behind it. So I am able to upload all cards at the same time. And how long does it take then to download those cards to the computer? I want to say maybe 30 minutes to an hour. Um, Normally what I do is as long as that those are going and they are uploading, I'll call it a night because as soon as that upload process has begun, the backup process comes in behind it automatically. Um, So as long as they're all going, all five cards are moving. I see the little dial moving. I'll normally close my office door and call it a night and go to bed. So (laughs) um, especially if it's been a really late night. Oh my word. Yeah. But then you talked about the backup process. So talk to us about that backing up process. Yeah. So I use photo mechanic. I know a lot of photographers do the same. And when I, um, so let me take a step back. I have a system where I actually never put the images onto a computer. They will never live on my iMac. They will never live on my laptop. They will always live on an external hard drive. I like that. Yes. Well, and it makes it so nice because I have an iMac and a MacBook Pro and I bounce between them all the time. Like even if I'm working from home, sometimes I'm in my office and sometimes I'm in my hammock and I don't want to have to like transfer these catalogs and all these files just so I can edit on the other computer. Right. So I, I come home and those raw files are automatic are dumped onto the working hard drive using photo mechanic. Also in photo mechanic in the ingest feature, you can copy to a secondary drive. And in that secondary drive, I have another it's, it's a larger hard drive. It's an eight terabyte drive. That's always sitting on my desk. Um, that holds only the raw photos of all of the, the shoots I've ever, ever had. 
I put, I create a folder for that client. I create another folder within it. It's just called all. And I dump all of those raw images into that drive at the same time. So all of my raw, uh, all my raw photos at that point are now on my working hard drive, which I will later cull from edit from put my Lightroom catalog in. And then they are on another external drive that is always plugged into my iMac that is synced to backup with Backblaze. And Backblaze's job is to back up every raw photo on that one hard drive. So it's uh, backing up the eight terabyte hard drive. Is that right? Yes. Wow. Yes. Um, and I just got to the, and it only has the raw files on it. I don't put finals on it. Sometimes I'll go in and I'll put a Lightroom catalog in there just in case I were to lose it. Um, but in, in my mind, worst case catastrophic scenario, if I have the raw images, I could always recreate something. So that's, that's my line of backup. That's just the important thing for me. Those raw photos are there. Um, I've gone through, I've been doing this for three years and I just bought my second eight terabyte drive. So wow, yeah, it, it lasted me a long time and that I call them my vault, my photo vault. Uh, they sit there with a little one up logo on it on my desktop, but that is always what Backblaze is looking for. Backblaze is focused on that drive. Anytime new files are added to that drive, Backblaze automatically backs that up. Um, so I have all of those raw photos in the cloud. We here in Texas last year, we experienced Hurricane Harvey and we didn't, San Antonio, we got some rain, but we didn't get the brunt of, of the storm at all. Mm -hmm. But I have a lot of friends in Houston that lost everything. Wow. And having a backup system on your desk is great. You know, using time machine, using all that great stuff. But at the end of the day, when there's a natural disaster, you know, your home is gone. If there's a fire, a tornado, tornadoes are a thing in Texas. They're everywhere. Those local backups aren't going to do you any favors. Right. So having a cloud system is absolutely critical. And it's so easy too. I mean, you just yeah. basically point it to the drive that you want backed up and it just does exactly. its thing in the background. I used to, <laughs> and I mean, goes. and again, speaking about, uh, I guess, kind of alluding to, to how old I am and how long ago I was shooting, the thing, one of the things that I used to do, I had an, an on-site backup uh, source, mm -hmm. certainly hard drive or a series of hard drives or, mm -hmm. or a vault, if you will. Uh, but then also I was taking, I was, putting a second backup on an external drive that I would then take and literally put in a bank vault. Yeah. Uh, and so I'd make this, what was supposed to be a monthly trip to get that external hard drive, bring it back, back up files to that, and then take it back to the bank vault. Yeah. And that was my offsite backup. But now we have the convenience of something like Backblaze that we can just kind of point to the appropriate hard drive and let it do, it, let it do its thing in the background. And there's really yeah. little reason not to take advantage of it. And it's not even that expensive, is it? No, I think I pay $5 a month for it. That's amazing. For, eight <laughs> for unlimited, unlimited space. Like wow. it has like almost 16 terabytes of data up there. Oh my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you're absolutely right. That offsite backup is key. It is 100% totally needed. Um, and I, I still like my local system is important because my local system is what's going to save my butt when I accidentally format the hard, the wrong hard drive, because right. um, <laughs> that's, what's going to get it to me quickly. I don't have to wait for backblaze to download anything, yeah. but I think that's important. You have to have something offsite and you have to also remember that these backup systems are exactly that they're backup systems. They are not additional storage. Um, I see a lot of photographers that you like put their stuff in backblaze and then they 
get rid of it. Like, oh, I can wipe this hard drive now. Hmm. And that's not always how those things work. And storage is cheap. I can buy a four terabyte hard drive for 120 bucks. And if I can, if I have to buy one of those every six months, that's an expense I'm willing to have to keep my drives intact. Sure. And just give that one more layer of defense. And when a drive fills up for me, um, I'm on my sixth working drive. A drive I just use the lacy ruggeds. I love those things. The, the little orange ones. Yeah. Have, like, yeah. Bumpers on them. Mm-hmm. I love them. Um, and when one fills up, um, it just goes into a fireproof vault in my closet. And that's where it lives unless I need it again. But that, I just think having that offsite and just having that system that you can stick to, right? It's going to make a huge difference because you never know when something's going to happen. You don't know if there's going to be a house fire at some point. You just don't know. And it's our jobs and we owe it to our clients to protect them in any way that we can. And if it for me, if that means I have to buy a $120 hard drive every six months, I'll do it. If that means I have to subscribe to a $5 cloud backup service, I'm going to do it. 100%. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's minimal expense, especially considering that the massive expense on multiple levels, if something like that uh, ever were to crash and you were to lose clients' Mm -hmm. images, I mean, uh, unimaginable, really, what could potentially happen in that scenario. I love, too, that you don't back up files uh, or or download files to your actual laptop or desktop. It's funny how many photographers end up with these really full, well, first of all, full hard drives, but then ultimately slow computers (laughs) as well because they've got so many files clogging up the hard drive yeah. On, on their computer. So avoiding doing that's great. The only kind of question or caveat to that, um, do you find that processing images, I know that you have an, uh, an editor that you're working with, but you still have to mm-hmm. work with images occasionally. Do you find that working from an external hard drive slows down that process or are you using hard, solid state drives that help keep it fast? Or what does that look like for you? So I don't use solid state drives. Uh, I wish I could. <laughs> solid states, they're getting there. They're getting cheaper. And that I think will be the eventually someday is yeah. transferring these working drives to solid state drives. Sure. Um, but, and they're, they're getting, they're getting closer. But for me, the, there is a difference. It hasn't, for me personally, it's not noticeable enough to bog down my computer with the files. And that's just kind of where I've been and the convenience of being able to jump between those two computers for me yes. and just being able to pick up and work wherever I am outweighs the extra second of rendering it takes for Lightroom to, to render a photo. Fair enough. Um, and it's also something that I've done from day one. And I have dri- I've have done things locally just to kind of like give it a, like, is this really that different? And you know, at the end of the day, Lightroom is just an extremely memory intensive application that's always going to be slow. Um, so, but it's I, not a bad thing to walk away. I mean, you talk about those thumbnails building or loading. It's it's not so difficult to consider. You know, starting that process and then walking away and getting a cup of coffee or go hanging out with your husband or going for a walk or doing some yeah. different work while it loads. I, I don't think any of us are going to suffer as a result. It, it cracks me up how much time people spend talking about how slow Lightroom is when the reality is if you're just willing to to start that process of the the thumbnails building and then walk away, you can come back to what is still the most powerful uh, and certainly the the most commonplace or popular piece of image editing software on the planet. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't don't personally like to, to have a lot of moving parts in my workflow. So the idea of adding additional pieces of software, trying some 
um, kind of elusive piece of software that only a mm-hmm. few people use just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I'm going I'm to stick with something that's mainstream for the sake of consistency. And yeah. um, in this case, I think, as you pointed out, Lightroom's biggest shortcoming is certainly it's, uh, I mean, it's very much process intensive. Um, it can feel slow when it comes to building those thumbnails. But again, if you're willing to just step away for a second and let those build, it's really not a big deal in the end. Yeah, exactly. And it's also, it's like, like, like you mentioned, when you build these workflows for yourself, understanding where those pieces are, you know, is that point in time when Lightroom is doing that process, what can I be doing? Can I be unpacking my gear? Can I be charging batteries? You know, kind of creating that into your workflow of when this does this, I'm going to do this and making sure you're efficient. And maybe that is getting that cup of coffee. Maybe it's taking a nap, but you know, it's, it's one of those things to like set expectations with yourself because, you know, it's not, it's not reasonable to revolve your life around a piece of software that you knew is a heavy piece of software. Um, at least that's where I'm at. <laughs> yeah. Well, and you know, the other thing too is, is you talked about going and doing something else. We've talked quite a bit about task and project management systems on this podcast mm-hmm. uh, in past episodes. One of the the benefits of using a task, a really great task and project management system, I personally use Todoist. Um, Mm -hmm. It's very minimalist in nature, very clean design, very intuitive, easy to use, and pretty much has all the functionality that you could possibly want in a task and Uh project management system. But um, one of the benefits of using that particular system is that I can tag tasks based on where they can be accomplished or mm-hmm. what type of task it is. So I know that if it's you know something like, for example, Lightroom images are being imported into to, or images are being imported into Lightroom and thumbnails are building and I've got some time to kill, I can quickly go to my to-do list and pull up something um, that is tagged for a, a task that needs to be accomplished there at my office at home, for example. You yeah. can do other things like tagging tasks with the amount of time it's going to take to accomplish them. And if you know it's going to take 10 minutes for these images to render, go pull one of those tasks that you've tagged 10 minutes and go do that thing um, yeah. while those images are, are loading. And, and this is, I mean, it's really a whole different conversation for a different podcast episode, but there is, <laughs> there is something significant to understanding what is on your to-do list, taking advantage of time and to really our original point of conversation. And I think this kind of brings us full circle. Um, at the beginning of our conversation, we were talking about utilizing time most efficiently and having yeah. a system in place that enables you to be able to pull those tasks, pull from those list of tasks when necessary is a really great way to, to efficiently utilize time. Absolutely. I love that. Well, and the- same, I'm right there with you on that, that um, workflow system. Like I, I use Asana and it's the same thing. It's yeah. like I jump to that immediately. It's like, okay, what's next? Yes. And this is going to take this long. I have another laptop. I can, I can go sit outside and respond to those emails. It's just, you know, keep you, you take advantage of the time you have. And so you can spend the time later doing the things that you, you want to spend, you know, whether that's with family, with friends or sleeping. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's a perfect way to end our conversation, I think. And I really appreciate you sharing both your experience and your perspective on a really important topic, which is the significance of keeping our clients' files safe. And this is a great resource for our listeners. Can you let us know where we can find you online so we can follow what you're doing, see your website, check out what your your work looks like on Instagram as well? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm on Instagram at Don Elizabeth Studios. And um, you can also find me at donelizabethstudios.com. 
I do have a page on my website that's dedicated to educational content, including like a full rundown of my full backup system and all of the drives and all of the software that I use. It's listed on there as well. So you can find that at Donald's the Studios and click on the education tab. Perfect. And we'll link to all this in the show notes. For those of you listening in, uh, I've been saying this more as of late, but make sure you take advantage of the show notes that Haley puts together for these podcast episodes because it's such a wonderful, intense source of, of information where you can actually not only review what we discussed on the podcast episode itself, but then go to the various resources that we refer to, whether it's websites or gear, uh, or in this case, um, Don's wonderful website and, and that resource there about backup. So check out the show notes, Boca Podcast, B-O-K-E-H podcast.com. And uh, we'll make sure to link to these resources from today in the show notes. Thanks again, Don, for making time yeah. for the Boca Podcast. Thanks for having me, Nathan. Thanks so much for listening to the Boca Podcast today. Will you let us know what you think by leaving a review of the podcast in iTunes or maybe in the Apple Podcast app? And I'd love to hear from you personally with your thoughts about the podcast, maybe suggestions about future topics and guests for the show. My direct email is nathan at photographersedit.com. The Boca Podcast is brought to you by Photographers Edit, custom image editing for the wedding and portrait photographer. Just visit photographersedit.com. Dot com.